Welcome to the Limitless Being Podcast. I am Danielle Sharkey, your host, here to be a guide on this journey of life. This is a space cultivated with the intentions of connection, vulnerability, spirituality, limitless knowledge, explorative conversations, and unlimited potential. I am here to spread love while activating freedom within the collective consciousness. I'm a digital nomad, an entrepreneur, and a magnetic spiritual being here to help you activate your power so that you can cultivate the life of your dreams. This container I have created is a safe space for us all to have conversations which lead us toward liberation, acceptance, and radical love of your self. If you have found this podcast, it is by no accident. You have been guided here because there's a part of you who's ready to stop making excuses and live the life you've imagined. So join me and my guests here every Thursday. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Limitless Being podcast. Today, I have Jason Stelfer. Um, We actually originally interviewed him months ago when this podcast was the shift flow with Danny and Mo. And he has been able to see the evolution and the death and the rebirth of this podcast since then. Um, Just a little background on Jason. He's a Phoenix native like myself. Um, an Army combat veteran and an ASU graduate with his Bachelor of Science in Engineering, Civil, Environmental, and Sustainable Engineering. He has a background in healthcare analytics, game theory, and system analysis and optimization. Jason's early civilian career in for-profit pharmaceuticals gave him intimate knowledge of the decreasing ability of synthetic medicine to treat the underlying causes of diseases of aging, chronic ailments, and post-industrial afflictions of urban human society. And with that, please welcome Jason, Jason Stauffer, also president and CEO of Morosco Forge, which is an incredible ice bath company. So welcome back. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to be here. Good to see you. Yeah, of course. Um, what I would like to start out discussing is just for evolution as a human. I mean, I met you in Austin um, in February, and what really drew me to you was your perspective on many things that we've talked about, which we'll get into, um, but also how you kind of started as like a theater kid, and then you evolved, evolved into an engineer, and then into you know, a veteran and now your amazing business with ice baths and um, wanting to treat and help people to heal their ailments from a root cause approach. So tell me about that evolution of yourself a little bit more. Sure. So the order that you got it in was a little bit off. So it was, oh. you know, theater kid in high school. Yes. Um, and uh, I remember um, I was sitting in my mom's apartment and this is in the 90s. Um, um, and so I, I mean, I didn't have a cell phone or anything like that, but the phone rang, um, and I was like a junior in high school and I pick up the phone and, uh, it was actually like a, an army recruiter, a military mm-hmm. recruiter, or something like that. who would gotten my, my mom's phone number from whatever school records that the school gives military recruiters back then. I don't, I don't know. But it was like, Hey, so I hear you're, you know, graduating high school soon. You know, have you given any thought to the military? And at the time I was, you know, just kind of a. 
a strappy theater kid, you know, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I told the guy, I'm like, only as an alternative to prison. Um, <laughs> and then by the time, um, you know, I got out of high school, um, I, I, I did not graduate. I quituated high school my senior mm. year. Um, and, uh, for various reasons, that's a whole different podcast. Mm. Um, and ended up, you know, I'm 19 years old. I've, I've, I've got, I don't even have a high school diploma at that point. Um, and I just really, I think looking back, I mean, I was just a kid, you know, I, I didn't have like the ability to, to, you know, kind of synthesize my thoughts and my feelings like that back then. I was just a 19 year old kid. Uh, right. But I, I really kind of sensed that I didn't have a whole lot of options. Like, what, what am I going to do with my life? You know, um, and a buddy of mine walked in and said he was joining the army. So I was like, all right, let's, let's do that. And so I got my GED in a hurry. Um, which was difficult for me to do, um, which was a requirement for military enlistment. Enlisted in the military, spent about six years in the army. Um, got out in 2005, um, and this is after you know I was in the 2003 um, invasion of Iraq. Um, got out of the military in 2005. Bartended for a couple of years uh, before again thinking like, well, what the heck am I going to do with my life now? And so. Um, you know, I, I found my way to college when I was like 29 years old um, on, on military education benefits and ended up getting my uh, degree in civil, environmental and sustainable engineering. Graduated when I was in like my early 30s. Uh, I never went into um, into civil engineering as a career. Um, I kind of fell out of love with that about my junior year of college uh, because I thought it was going to be all roller, roller coasters and skyscrapers. Um, you know, that's what civil engineers do, right? No, no. It's a lot of parking lots and lampposts, and it just wasn't wasn't not part. fulfilling for your soul. Not fulfilling, you know. Oh, okay. And so that you know, to make a long story short, that's how I ended up. Um, I, I mean, I, I finished my degree. You know, the, the, I'd gone through you know eighty percent of my education benefits. I'm not going to change my major then. Um, so I finished my engineering degree, understanding that was still something valuable to have, and then started looking for what is that going to, what's that that next you know non bartender job um, going to look like, and it just so happened to end up in um, pharmaceutical data analytics. Um, that you know I, I put in resumes a lot of different places, every place that wasn't an engineering firm, um, and uh, that's just where I ended up, and that's what kind of started giving me this. It taught me the lingo. It taught me um, how to speak the terms of the pharmaceutical industry. It gave me some behind-the-scenes look about how pharmaceutical products are researched, mm -hmm. developed, um, bought, sold, mergers, acquisitions, how they're marketed both to the consumer and to the providers, which are two different marketing um, channels and two very different um, messages. Um, something um, notable is that the United States, last I checked, is only one of two countries in the entire world that allows pharmaceutical companies to market directly to patients. Um, mm. And so I think the other one is New Zealand. Um, and it's been a long time since I looked at that. But if you think about that for a second, um, like these are pharmaceutical companies. They're selling medicines. Why? You know, and we've all seen the pharmaceutical ads. Um, you know, then they're, they're most ads, it turns out lately on commercial television, which I try not to watch are pharmaceutical ads. And it's very standard. It's, you know, here's a 65 year old man who's very fit and healthy with his, uh, you know, his wife, who's probably 10, 15 years younger than him. And they're walking on a beach and they're happy and they've got a golden retriever. And then, you know, the, the tagline is you try, try Pilesta for your blah, 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 blah. And. Well, if you think about that for a second, 
for a, a drug company to be able to market directly to the patient, um, mm. it's a little odd, right? Because the patient is just a patient. Um, but we see that this is kind of what's gone into our prescribing culture in the United States is now the patients show up to their doctor's office and they already know what they want because the TV told them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the TV says, hey, I want I want Pilesta. I just made that up, Pilesta. But mm-hmm. I want the Pilesta because I want to be the 65-year-old man with the silver hair and the 48-year-old wife and the golden retriever. And that's what the Pilesta is going to do for me. Um, and so on a provider level, on a doctor level, yes, they're also getting marketed. They're getting a, a much different marketing message from the pharmaceutical companies. They're getting they're getting the, the more of the science and the study and the data that that's that. that, that. Um, but it, it can it can it has the, it has the capacity of growing into this um, demand side problem. <laughs> where the patients right. are demanding the pharmaceutical products. And if the patient goes to the doctor and says, I want Pilesta, and the doctor says, you know, I don't think, I don't think that's, but if the, let's say the doctor says, you know what, I don't think that's quite right for you. Um, I think what you need to do is get some exercise and cut out the carbs and the sugar. Then the patient's going to say, okay, you're not my doctor anymore. I'm going to yeah. go find the doctor who gives me Pilesta. Because again, the TV told me, and I'm, I'm satirizing and I'm paraphrasing here. The TV yeah. told me that Pilesta will turn me into a 65-year-old silver fox with a 48-year-old wife and a golden retriever. And that's mm-hmm. what I want. And that's how I'm going to get it. Um, and so getting into the pharmaceutical um, industry and kind of kind of looking at this this industry and how it's, how it's um, come up um, is really a big part of what got me into seeking um, seeking the root causes of diseases and th- seeking the practices um, that, that we can get into. Um, can I ask you? Can I ask you really quick? Was there something that you were personally struggling with? Because clearly you were in that that industry and you saw a lot of things that you didn't necessarily agree with. Was there something that you were personally struggling with that you really wanted to treat in a different way? Well, it was it was my um, my wife and business partner, um, Adrian. She was going through um, uh, she developed some autoimmune conditions um, in her early thirties mm-hmm. that were very very rapid onset and very strange and took us took her a long time to figure out um, and ended up with um, a diagnosis for Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a thyroid gland disorder um, and then a condition called eosinophilic esophagitis, which is uh, her esophagus was all of a sudden developing um, hive allergic reactions to foods, mechanicals, fragrances, things she'd been around her entire life, foods that she loved and all of a sudden were burning her esophagus. Um, mm-hmm. And like somebody would walk into the, the office that she was working at, some you know, delivery driver walks in with Axe body spray and it closes her throat, which is not only very physically um, debilitating, that's existentially scary. If you think that, you know, asphyxiate to death um, because somebody walked in with, with Chanel number no. five or whatever, and all of a sudden it's just attacking the body. So that was, so there was the macro, um, the macro part of the story of, you know, looking through the pharmaceutical data mm-hmm. and uh, looking through patient records as, as I was doing audits, things like that. And getting the sense that that large scale sense of, of the healthcare system and the pharmaceutical system. And then there was that that acute situation, that micro level situation of what um, my wife at the time was going through. Uh, and she got wrapped up in the system. And I we I watched her get wrapped up in the system and ended up being on 
um, prescription medications, synthetic hormones, um, live antibody shot the month to help deal with the allergies. And then there's side effects to the, the prescription medications. And so then there's supplements for the side effects, but those supplements have their own side effects, but there's supplements for the side effects. Yeah. So that's that, 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 that. I'm like, this yeah. is insanity. Um, like I just start to see the marketing behind it. It's marketing, you know, it's a subscription model. Um, just like Netflix is a subscription model. Um, you know, the, if you can keep somebody coming back, you know, if you can, you can, you can cure somebody once, but you can treat them for the rest of their lives. That's um, the business model. Keep them in the system. Yep. And whenever I get into this, I, I always stop and I say, you know, it's easy to vilify the industry and the people in the industry. And certainly there's memes on the internet about the evil pharmaceutical companies. Um, but my experience is overwhelmingly that, the, the industry and the systems are filled with good people who want to do good things in the world. And this is the best way they know how. This is the best way, the best medicine that they know how to produce is one that reduces suffering. Because again, you sit the patient down and say, John, I don't think what you need is pilesta. I think you need exercise and to fix your diet and you need to get some, some sunshine and remove the seed oils and that's it, that's it, that's that. Very few patients are even going to listen to that. They're going to they're going to walk out the door. They're going to go down the hall and they're going to find the doctor who's going to give them the medication. So there's a demand side to this problem. There's a don't get me wrong. There's a supply side to the problem as well. But supply meets demand, and so yeah. I, I always like to to remind people of that. That what I feel, which is why I do what I do and how I do it, is that. Um, I, I can't shake. I'm not going to go on the internet and shake my fist at the pharmaceutical company. Right. I'm not going to show outside the the CEO, the CEO of Pfizer's office in some sort of like you know mass protest of you know. I'm going to talk to people and I'm I'm going to try to plant seeds and I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change the entire country. I'm not going to change the industrialized world. Um, you know, all at once. But I'm going to find the people who are open to some alternatives. So those people, those patients who you can actually look at and say, okay. Um, you could go to your doctor and you can get the Pilesta. Um, but just so you know, there's a lot of us who are experiencing some true wellness, some medication-free wellness, some disease mm -hmm. reversal, some reversal of aging, some increased testosterone without the pharmaceuticals. And if you're interested, I will share with you what it is we're doing and how it is we're doing it, what we know, what we've studied, what we believe in um and see if something resonates um, with you so that's how i'm approaching that's the way problem. i yeah. approach it from the demand side and again you know um <laughs> i'm thinking of like the parable of like the person walking on the beach throwing starfish back in the ocean the person's like oh, okay look at all the millions of starfish you think that's going to make a difference it makes a difference to that one mm -hmm. um so getting into it yeah that's just kind of um that's how I got into into things like uh, the first experiments I was doing, like uh, um, high protein, low fat dieting, ketogenic mm. dieting, reducing carbs and sugars, reducing processed foods, and then environmental exposure, um, sleeping on the ground in the summer, taking an ice bath, you know, things that I can do to, to get my body back to um, ingesting and experiencing and feeling and, and taking in um, the foods and the, the stimuli and the sunshine and the pollen. Sleeping on the ground in the Arizona summer? Yes. Yeah. In my backyard, I was like sleeping. I was just put out a blanket, you know, and you know, Phoenix in the summertime, yes. it never gets below 100 degrees at night. Yep. Um, you know, it, it goes to 120 and then down to 101 and then 120. Yeah. Yeah. And that was um, to help you with the stress response to show your body that you could get through that or 
it was just uh it was understanding that this was very natural like uh but part of my part of my study that got me into all of this i was reading i have two coins two sides of the coin of of the books that i'll read um generally mm-hmm. speaking and that is uh very new nonfiction. so this is self-help business um psychology fitness you know we all know the it's Joe Dispenza, it's uh, Nassim Taleb, it's you know all of that stuff, uh, Pam Ferris, yeah, all of those those things. But then I'll read old fiction, old novels like John Steinbeck and mm-hmm. Kurt Vonnegut and um, 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 Robert A. Heinlein, especially like sci-fi novels and, and Americana novels, things like that. And the rule of thumb that I have for those is they have to have first been printed at least 50 years ago and they're still culturally relevant. I can still go to Barnes and Noble and there are set any Barnes and Noble in the country and there are several copies of this book brand new on the shelf even though it was printed at least 50 years ago. And this is um, a litmus test for a piece of fiction that has some sort of greater truth in it. And what that greater truth is, you have to get in the book and find out because sometimes it's not even the main part of the story. It's just a little nuanced truth, but there's something resonant in it, right? There's something that made enough sense to at least my grandparents, um, you know, 50 years old or older, at this point, I mean, I'm 44, so it's like my great grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it made sense to them to keep it into print, and then it made sense to the next generation to keep it into print. And sometimes schools do this because they'll assign the book, but why is the school assigning the book? And then, so if the book is still being printed and being read and taught and talked about 50 years later, there's usually a reason for that. And the reason that I, the thing that I drew from it, these old novels was how people used to live and how when what they you know what they what they were exposed to and it's it's a simple thing we all realize that the technologies that we have around us are very new i wasn't thinking about it. i'm like you know what it's air conditioning that i have it wasn't here that, that you know um and like fasting i you will find references to fasting um all over in these old novels yeah something that people did now when i started fasting um, and you tell people today, like, yeah, um, I, I haven't eaten in 48 hours. You know, they'll look at you like you need an intervention. Like you're <laughs> starving yourself. You're about to, you tell, you tell people that you skipped lunch and they'll be like, you're, you're flirting with starvation. Like, no, like, for, like fasting has been a long standing, you know, tradition in our culture and society. And that's even, you know, before that, it wasn't even an option. They didn't call it fasting. Some days you just didn't catch any food. Like, you know, this food abundance that we're in is very new. This this climate controlled environment that we're in is very new. This digital, you know, that's all the industrial revolution. Um, this digital revolution that we're taking advantage of right now is very new. And there's it's not all bad there's very powerful things that have come from the agricultural revolution the industrial revolution the digital revolution but there's also externalities there are things there's side effects to these solutions and so what i was realizing was that chronic illness a lot of chronic illness which is why we have the most expensive healthcare system in the world but we're still getting sicker um is it's not just a roll of the dice. It almost seems like 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 the healthcare system thinks it's a roll of the dice. Like you, you show up, you get some blood work done, you've got a thyroid condition, and it's almost like, well, we're sorry, you drew the thyroid condition card. Um, <laughs> there's nothing that you did to cause this. And I'm like, no, that's not true. Like we're all of our health, our wellness, um, 
is a product of, of our environment of what we come into contact with. We can come in contact with a virus or a bacteria and that can affect it. But these chronic metabolic, these, these where our physiologies are just kind of like going not the direction that we want them to. Right. This is a product of the environment that we live in. Um, and so that's what I was solidifying is this understanding that, that our, our lives have become so unnatural. Like, you know, and this is industrial revolution is 250 years old. That's a blink of us of, of, of nothing in human mm-hmm. time. And so I was, I was looking for how can I get back at least temporarily, at least on the weekend, um, to to the to the sensations that my ancestors were feeling um to the 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 temperature volatility the climate um you know that that my ancestors were feeling um and and the food scarcity and the types of foods and you know understanding how much food in the grocery store if, if somebody from 200 years ago came you know in a time machine and walked in the grocery store they wouldn't even recognize like 90 percent of it they're like i don't know what this is what the right. fuck is an otter pop like what, <laughs> like like <sighs> yes you know? so much um, so much truth so there like, so it sounds like you were trying and they start seeing like a very unnatural environment that has its uses and it's got its its plus sides it's, but it's got it's got side effects as well and we got to adjust the side effects and the way that it seemed more natural to me to adjust the side effects is remember a remembering for my bio, my biology, my genes, my physiology, where I came from, the stuff that I am made of, um, the stuff that I am evolved from. Like what what is that stuff that 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 my my vascular system was evolved to respond to, my nervous system was evolved to respond to, my my digestive system, my everything. Like like how can I how can I wake it up and, and remind it of these things? Um, yeah. And so this is what got me to ice baths. And then I wanted I made an all the time ice bath. And that's a whole nother podcast as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That's beautiful. We have a lot of, um, of similarities in our stories. I, I saw somebody very close to me dragged through the medical system as well. And that made me wake up and realize because that person only got sicker and sicker and sicker that that made me wake up and realize there has to be another way and everything that you say I I so resonate with so I'm curious about your practices today currently with your mental physical and now spiritual health because from what you've told me getting into this industry creating these ice baths and the community that's been curated because of that that's really expanded your your spiritual practices and your spiritual knowledge as well. Yes. Um, thank you. And, uh, you know, I, I do the ice baths, you know, people ask me like, so you in there every day? I'm like, no, like I, it's a, it's a routine, like any other routine. Sometimes I'm really on it. Sometimes I'm really off it. I try to say I get, you know, three to five a week. It's it easier in the summer. Um, yeah. it's easier to get in because it's like refreshing than it is in the winter. Um, is it cold getting into cold or, or the sun is not out, whatever. Right. Um, so I do that, um, do sauna, um, I, I don't have like a dedicated gym routine. I, I walk daily. I walk my dog to coffee you know, it's about two miles every morning. Um, and I really, I watch what I eat. Um, and I do still occasionally do a 24 to 48 hour fast. Um, I was doing one meal a day for a while. I still don't eat. I eat maybe an average of one and a half meals a day. Sometimes I'll eat, you know, twice a day. Sometimes I'll eat one a day. And really um paying attention to what i eat uh so like beverages um i 
I, I rarely drink a beverage that people have not been drinking for at least a thousand years. Um, Genius. So, uh, so that's water, black coffee. Um, and I don't drink alcohol anymore, but it was like red wine. Um, and, and so like no sodas, no, or, or tea, unsweet tea. I drink a lot of, um, but these are things that people have been drinking, at least in, in my, in my, mm-hmm. you know, genetic culture for at least a thousand years. So they're pretty established. It's not, it's not Otter Pops and, and, you know, and the, I'm, I'm using kids here, but like, you know, the juice pouches or the, you know, the, the sodas or anything like that. It's just, it's not a beverage to me. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, and you know, I've been getting into more supplements. So I, I take, um, I take liver pills uh, or, or organ pills because it's more appetizing than eating like dried liver chips. <laughs> and uh yeah i've been i've been microdosing psilocybin which has been um okay. helpful recently um yeah the, the, those are my biohacks those are those are my things You're just staying active um you know i'm sitting down right now but i try to stay standing at, at a standing desk so i'm not you know sitting all day long yeah. um can yeah, we talk briefly kind of- about how you've seen ice baths and you know the breath work or the meditation aspect that kind of naturally comes with that affect your mind, body, and spirit. Yeah, it's interesting. I say um, I, I've, I've joked um, often that you know when you start an ice bath company, the ice bath becomes the cause of and the solution to your stress because you're you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> My product right. is an ice bath, so it's like build one, get in one, build one, get in one. That was in the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the ice bath uh, with the with the mood, uh, with the with the emotional regulation, um, because you know a big part of what we do in in in, in Morosco and in the company culture is it's not just about it's not just about getting in the ice and like grinning and bearing it, grinning and bearing it, whatever that phrase is. Uh, it's about how you can surrender to it and how you can get to, I can get to a very mindful meditative state sitting in freezing water. Um, and so coupling that, that, that exploration of the space between stimulus and response where that very uncomfortable, um, freezing cold water stimulus, um, Mm -hmm. I can control my response and I can, I can choose to be calm and resonant and, and emotionally regulated through that process that has so many other, um, applications outside of the cold plunge. Cause then if you can do that in an ice bath, if you can like control your breathing and be like, nah, I'm good. I'm chilling here for a little bit, sitting in freezing water, traffic gets easier, relationship conversation, difficult conversations, um, you know, work or entrepreneurship, whatever it is you're working on, all these other stressors in our lives, we start to realize more and more about our ability to choose our responses in given situations and not be reactive. And so that's been a big, powerful, um, powerful benefit to, to the ice bass. Um, and then, you know, other things like, like exploring, um, exploring psychedelics, um, yes. um like a big part of that spiritual aspect of it, of, you know, I'm still enough of a, a, of a skeptic to, you know, there's always going to be some part of me that's like, okay, if I, if I go into a psychedelic ceremony and I see God, I'm just going to pair, you know, quote unquote, see God. Um, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just tripping on, on some stuff. Maybe it's just a big hallucination, but my pathway to it has been there's been enough for me to at least believe or 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 lean into at least lean into my own ignorance of saying i can't i can't um i can't disprove that 
um, you know, whatever that experience is, wherever that place that we go and whatever, you know, setting that we're in isn't a real place. You know, mm -hmm. it's not, you know, it's, it, I mean, we strip off the three dimensional perspective and we get into that, you know, that altered state that, yeah, it could just be some weird hallucination because we ingested some poison um, that humans are ingesting or you could you could have found a tunnel to you know to the, to the perception or awareness of things that do exist all around us within us um that are are outside of our perspective our our, our average perception mm -hmm. and the more you look into it i mean it's well known within science that humans can only see a certain amount of the light spectrum. We know that the light spectrum is much wider mm -hmm. and we know that everything that we're looking at right now only fits the, the narrow window that humans can perceive. And so we already know and believe and understand on a scientific level that we can't perceive everything that is in front of us, within us, around us, above us, below us. And so uh, through my own you know, journey with you know, meditation and travel and psychedelics and medicines and things like that, um, I have come to a reasonable enough um, belief awareness that uh, I'm only one very small, tiny speck of dust that perceives only one very small, tiny um, bit <laughs> of what there can be to perceive. And so that's yeah. been a big part of my journey as well. Yeah, that's beautiful. Psychedelics have definitely been, I mean, a reason for a lot of my really deep healing. I think the revealing of subconscious patterns and habits and addictions, etc., through those medicines can be incredibly profound. Um, and you said sobriety, and I want to talk about that as well, because I know myself personally, as well as many people I work with and people in this space, they're, they're like sober curious, you know, like they go out, they drink and they never feel good afterwards. And they're like, why do I keep doing that? I want to be sober, but it's, it's so difficult in the society that we live in. And I would love for you to just share a little bit about your personal journey and help to kind of like destigmatize what it means to you and, and the processes that you've worked through in this new phase of your life. Yeah. Uh, alcohol sober. Um, I'm very alcohol explicit sober. about that um, because, yeah, I quit drinking. Now, mm -hmm. um, it's still there's still plenty of other substances uh, that I do. I smoke pot, you know, um, and both on the, you know, the ceremonial side and and the revelry, the, the, the recreational side, you know, psilocybin and, um, and ketamine and, and LSD and you know, all these other um, psychedelics that are being um, used and legitimized in clinical settings and in ceremonial settings, I still party with them. And I admit that. I admit that fully. Um, and for me, it has been, it's been helpful because um, in my stepping away from alcohol, um, I didn't want to just sit on the couch and not go dancing. Um, you know, I didn't want to like, I didn't want to feel like I couldn't go to a party or um, a, a bar or a concert or a, a small music venue um, because those are still those, those are still things that I wanted to do and so it's been helpful for me to to explore the recreation recreational use of other substances substances mm -hmm. that don't leave me hung over that don't leave that don't find me occasionally behaving poorly um you know because my my alcohol use had really gotten to a point where i wasn't i wasn't behaving right 
um, you know, and through, I mean, started drinking alcohol when I was a teenager and then I was a soldier. And so there's big booze culture in, in the military. And then I was a bartender. So there's drinking, you know, that's a big, you know, booze culture as well. Um, I was a drinker. Jason was a drinker. And most of the time I could at least shut my mouth and not be a problem when I was intoxicated. But it was getting to the point where other stressors and things uh, were manifesting when I was drinking alcohol and I wasn't behaving well. And I didn't want to do that. Um, and it was affecting my relationships. It was affecting my relationship with myself. It was affecting my um, my achievement of goals in my business, mm-hmm. uh, affecting my my marriage. And I, I am now separated um, um, from my wife. And that's a whole nother podcast as well. We're still great friends and supporters and business partners. Um, but we're walking separate paths right now, both working on our own separate things. Um, and my behavior as a drinker um was a big part of that separation um and i admit that and it's you know conversations i've had with with adrian and there's forgiveness there um but it's the truth uh and what what has been helpful for me and what has been powerful for me and i will say that because i don't want to talk anybody i don't want to seem like i'm talking about any other any pathway that wasn't right for me because like alcoholics anonymous was not right for me i I didn't even go to a meeting but i know enough about the program and about people in it and things like that i've met i know enough people who are in it so like that's not going to be for me um and so I don't want to, if, if somebody is, is, is experiencing positive outcomes and results with Alcoholic Anon- Alcoholics Anonymous, do it, like do it. Mm. Um, but that wasn't right for me. And I think one of the powerful things for me is to understand because, you know, again, with these revolutions we've had, industrial digital revolution, the digital revolution gives us connection. We can connect in these micro communities and find different pathways that are resonant to us that may be resonant to other people where, you know, before the internet, when I was a, a kid in the 80s and a teenager in the 90s, um, especially when I started drinking, it seemed like there were two options. Either you drank alcohol or you were an alcoholics anonymous. You know, that was that was kind of your your choose it. Yeah. Um and and if you quit drinking, it's because you couldn't take it, you couldn't handle it, you fucked up, you're 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 drunk, you're an alcoholic, and you gotta go to meetings now. Right. Um and Again, if that works for somebody, if that's the culture, if that's the program that that resonates with them, that helps put them on a pathway to better outcomes, then do it and keep doing it. But it wasn't that that just didn't call to me. And so uh, understanding and getting connected with you know with the fact that there is a thing as alcohol sober, and you know the the the, the joking phrase is California sober. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I don't drink. I do all the other things, but I just don't drink alcohol. Um, and things that expand my consciousness and my awareness as opposed to the things that essentially shut my brain down from um, positive decision-making skills. Yeah, it can be. Um, and, you know, I had, I had a lot of good times, you know, with alcohol, especially younger. And, um, um, and uh, I was, I, one of the things that, that, um, that I think about and I'm working on is, you know, drinking wasn't all bad for me. I had good conversations and I laughed and I had fun and I felt, I felt better about myself and my own confidence. And, you know, and that can, can translate into other social situations, especially if it's you know, relatively true, you know, we can get to the place where we're drinking and we think that we're being funny and we're just being a dick. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's a lot of times where yeah. 
true. And um, there were other times that I, that I took breaks from alcohol and, and friends and, and um, you know, relationships. I'm like, man, you're not as fun anymore. Like, I know you're, <laughs> but, but, but again, like, is that the, is that was, that's the question. Was that the alcohol that was bringing that out in me or does that live within me and is accessible through either another, another fun thing, another fun substance to do, or, or just, just, just working on whatever it is within me and my own self-reflection and self-assessment and self-esteem to, to have that voice, to speak, to joke, to laugh, to have fun, to dance, to, to, without to judgment pour. of yourself. Right. I think yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Removes that, that judgment or kind of that prison that we put ourselves in. And, you know, yeah. I think the friends, they get so used to the alcohol being the center of the relationship, whether they're conscious of it or not. And so when you remove that, it's like, I don't know you without that. Right? Yeah. I don't know you without this substance because our entire foundation has been built with it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, as I think about it, and uh, I think what's, what's powerful for me and I hope is as powerful for other people is to realize that um, alcohol, alcohol wasn't the problem. Alcohol was the solution that I found and was using mm. for other problems. And those other problems were self-esteem and self-confidence and being comfortable projecting my voice. and and putting myself out there, whether it's, you know, socially, romantically, um, sexually, intellectually, whatever it is, um, there were, there were things blocking that there's still things blocking that, you know, um, but the alcohol was creating, um, at least a temporary kind of, um, kind of numbness to whatever those blockages were so that I can move through them, but I'm moving through them now and then, inebriated state and now the question is how do i how do i identify those blockages the how do i identify those self-criticisms or those um those low self-esteem or that low self um validation uh move around over through those obstacles in a way that again that i am speaking and i am joking but i'm not alcohol inebriated and and just you know kind of step into that fullness of my being without um without the substance um and so uh what's that any answers to that without any substance how to let yourself be free and liberated in whatever way you so choose it's tough it is it is tough um um and i think the only thing that i've got right now is just do it you know as uncomfortable as it is you know just do it and um you know speak your voice and um and and you know, have your expression. And the, the tough part is, is that it can, um, it can and probably will um, shift social circles. Like mm. you will lose friends and relationships and stuff like that because you are expressing in a different way or, or whatever. Um, and it's, it's not just, you know, maybe you're, maybe I, this, I think about this about my lot because there was a lot that I don't say. And um, there was a lot that I was just bottling up and I'm not, I'm not using my voice. And I still have to like tell myself, like, Jason, you're not speaking. Jason, you're not speaking your voice. Like, like be heard, like use your voice. Um, and the, the, the thing that I think about is like, well, what if I say something that, that, that the people around me, my friends, my loved ones don't like, or they judge me mm-hmm. for What if I have an opinion that they're like, the fuck Jason, but it's a big world out there and there's lots of different opinions. And, um, 
you know, understanding and, and stepping into the fact that if my truth changes my relationships, if my truth changes my social situations and, you know, the people that are around me, then as uncomfortable and difficult as that is, it's probably necessary, at least powerful um, to do that. Because if, if you're just holding back, if you're holding your voice back so that you can stay surrounded by the people who would leave you if you spoke your voice, you're in the wrong group. You're in the wrong tribe. And again, with our with our digital um, our digital revolution, our ability to connect like this, we can pick our tribes. Like we don't have, we're not we're not so beholden to um, you know whatever whatever the closest church is to our house because that's what everybody believes, and that's the only people that we have connection with. Um, we can seek all these things, and sometimes that goes to that's a whole other podcast as well as digital tribalism and how that can. Have its own ex. Everything's got a side effect. Everything's got right. an externality. But start by by being in the room or the, the the chat room or the video call or the 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 video game culture or the the dance place where your voice is what the people around you or you're connecting is what they want to hear. Um, it matters. Yeah, it matters. Um, so that's the pathway. And again, like it's not comfortable. It's not easy. Um, that neither is an ice bath, and so just, just do it. Like, yeah, do it. the <laughs> the underlying <laughs> message is like that is how you grow, right? Through the discomfort, through all of these self perceived blockages, breaking through them is how you grow, and you ultimately become your authentic self, which is the road that you're on right now. You know where you're at in your life is really just trying new things. You know, out out in the world again solo so sober alcohol sober um yeah and there was something that we spoke about last time when we tried recording this podcast a few months ago and i really want to touch on it because you said some incredibly profound things for anybody that's working through addiction or working through their relationship with alcohol or a substance you talked about the shame that comes up and the culture that we have around shaming addicts when in my opinion I, I believe we all experience some form of addiction in our lives, some form. And so I'd love for you to, to open that up again briefly and, and chat about your personal journey and maybe plant some beautiful medicinal seeds for others. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me of that. And um, again, for me, it's powerful. Um, and again, this goes into why, why I don't stand in a room and stand up and say, hi, my name is Jason. I'm an alcoholic. Um, and if, if that works again, that's working for you. That's working for you. Do it. Keep doing it. Um, if it keeps you safe and healthy, keeps the people around you safe and healthy, if it, you know, whatever, um, do it. But for me, it was important because again, I don't want to identify with that word, that word alcoholic or drunk or, or, you know, whatever has got such addict. a negative addict, you know, um, it's got such a negative connotation to it. Um, because again, it makes you feel like like there's something wrong with me, or there's something you know, or there's there's you know there's cultural um, archety- archetypes for this. You think out for me, I think alcoholic, drunk, and I think you know there's a, a, a fat balding man who stumbles home from the gym after the factory job and is just incorrigible and smacks his wife and the kids yeah. are crying and throwing shit. I mean, this is a real situation. These things happen. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't identify. I don't want to identify like that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to, um, 
I don't want to feel shame for um, for for behavior that I have been guilty of. Um, and I don't want to, um, cause I want to forgive myself. Which of course I want forgiveness from anybody that, um, that, that I need, I want forgiveness from. Um, but I don't want to carry that with me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put that on my shoulders and carry it around. I'm make, making different decisions. And part of making those different decisions is not carrying shame for the decisions that I made earlier in my life. Like just learn from them. I just, I'm going to do different. I'm going to do better. I can see the ways that I could have, I, that I can do better moving forward. At the time, you know, we do what we do, and we couldn't have done anything differently in that moment. By you know, fact, it's so that's what we did. Um, I'm just not going to carry that. I'm not going to carry that 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 scarlet letter or you know, on my, you know, or that that sign, you know, that dunce cap. Um, and so that was important to me. That was powerful for me, and has been powerful for me. Mm, beautiful and it's almost it's you know all about the subconscious right it's like as soon as we identify with something and we say i am i am are the most powerful words words you can say about yourself and so you're continuing to put yourself in this cycle of identifying the alcoholic the addict the this the that and it takes so much longer to remove yourself from the past to remove yourself from these things that happen in the past, which ultimately is not where you're at right now, which is the present. So thank you for sharing that and insert microdosing. Okay. I would love to hear a little bit about your journey with, with microdosing, with mushrooms, then we'll get into more about psychedelics. The microdosing has come um, recently last several, several weeks. And, um, that's difficult for me to attribute any one thing I do um, because every day I have is different and mm -hmm. I do different things on it. And there's so many different variables. Um, so it's hard. And I don't like, I, it would be a full-time job sitting down, keeping track of what I did today and how right. it might have affected. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people do, they keep like journals about today. I got to that, to that, to that. And I just, just don't do that. Um, but I will say that the psilocybin microdosing, seems to be strongly correlated with um with an ability for me to focus on work tasks and focus on the stressors that i have to respond to in my business and in my drive to grow my business mm -hmm. but to do it without feeling so um so distressed so there's there's two different kinds of stress there's distress and there's you stress it's like e-u-s-t-r-e-s-s you stress and we can think of the you stress as the usable stress and the distress is like you're so stressed that you get into like a trauma response like a freeze state or something like that and so there's a very strong correlation on days that i microdose about 200 milligrams of psilocybin um that the stresses are all there the company's there the problems there the finances are there the relationship stuff there the employees are there um, you know, the sales are there, the dots are there, the lawyers, the accountants, they're, they're all there. Um, but my ability to, to re respond to those stressors in a new stress way and like get work done and be like, okay, this is what I need to focus on. This is what I worked on is very strongly correlated to the psilocybin microdosing. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that has helped me keep up with that. And it's for me, 200 milligrams, it's not perceptible. I don't have even a a hinkling of a perception of any sort of like mushroomy kind of okay <laughs> you know um so there's that um um it's it's been a while since i've really done ceremony um so ceremony levels of psilocybin uh times that i've done you know that i've eaten like a couple of grams here and there 
Sometimes I just get really sleepy. <laughs> um, yeah. um, the first time that that happened to me, I was, or no, it started happening to me and I kept saying, man, mushrooms, mushrooms are making me tired these days. Yeah. Mushrooms are making me tired these days. And I had, um, I had kind of this, this download, I think they call them. Um, yes. One time. It was like, <laughs> uh, it was one time I was like, oh, man, these mushrooms are making me tired. And I said, no, Jason, the mushrooms are not making you tired. You are tired. You're working hard. You're building a company. I think at the time I still had a day job too. Like the mushrooms wow. are not making you exhausted. You are exhausted. Like rest. Um, and so you know, lately, sometimes if I'll if I'll eat like a couple grams of like mushroom chocolate or something like that, I end up resting. But I tell myself like Jason, rest. You're doing good. Um, you're working hard. Just go ahead and rest. Um, so that's been helpful as well. And it's not it's not like you know the twenties when you, I'd eat you know five grams of mushrooms and you know that's the whole like wild night. Um, it's more like just getting to a place of reminding myself to rest and mm-hmm. giving myself validation and being proud of myself for um, the efforts that I am that I am doing. Beautiful. Yeah, I I want to insert kind of the story of what we were talking about when we met, and that was. What I like about you and your perspectives is they're very grounded. They're not like one side or the other. I think I have a tendency to kind of do that. But when I when I speak to you, you're very grounded. You're very in the middle. You see both sides, which I really appreciate. And something I'm really trying to illuminate for people with the rise of plant medicine as they seem to come up in every conversation now um, and ceremonies and ceremonial spaces is to look through it without the lens of excitement, but with the lens of discernment and gaining information on where you're going on the medicine, on if it's right for you and on the space holders. And you were telling me about one of your adventures into the jungles of Peru, where you were going to sit with ayahuasca and, you know, the, the knowledge and the new perspectives that you gained because of that um, adventure. So if you'd like to share that story. I would. Um, yeah. Uh, so it was a little over a year ago. It was uh, February of uh, 2022. Uh, I went down to Peru. Uh, and so I get a text message from a friend of mine. And it says, um, hey, um, I'm, we're going down to Peru on this trip. We're going to um, spend time with the tribe. We're going to film a documentary. Um, we're going to like harvest ayahuasca and like hunt combo frogs and harvest the combo frogs and um it's 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 gonna do this in in three weeks are you in and i'm like three weeks i'm not going to peru in three weeks like you crazy um but then i thought about it for a day i'm like fuck it let's go to peru in three weeks um and i had sat with ayahuasca once before here in phoenix arizona which had kind of a a wishy-washy experience uh with um, but I was like, okay, now, now I feel like it's time to do it again. I always said, like, if I do it again, I'm going to go to central or South America. Um, so it's not going to be, cause in Phoenix, it was just in a yoga Shit. studio. Yeah. yeah. It was like a yoga studio that they covered the windows at at night and it's, you know, in the middle of the city and uh, I'm, I'm going to go to the jungle and I'm going to be in the jungle around the, the plants and the spirits and the animals. The and origin. The, yeah. Yeah. The, or, the origin. And, and with the, the, and when he, when, uh, my friend, um, I'll call him Ryan, um, from this one sending this message, I'm like, yeah, we're going to go with the tribe. We're going to the source. Right. Yeah. Um, 
and, and there's going to be a documentary. So there, there gets to be some sort of like educational or journalistic endeavor in this. Um, and so I'm like, okay, um, uh, get, get some plane tickets, um, um, to, uh, to Iquitos, uh, Peru, um, which, so I flew Phoenix to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Lima and then Lima to Iquitos. And I looked this up later and Iquitos is one of, if not the largest city in the world that you cannot get to by car. Um, there are no cars or no trucks in or out. There are only two ways to get in or out of Iquitos and that's by airplane or by boat on the Amazon river. Um, it's on this like bend of the Amazon river. Um, and so that's where we're going to go. And so I fly to Los Angeles where I meet up with most of the group. So uh, I get to, get to Los Angeles, to LAX, where I meet up with uh, other members of the group, including my friend Ryan. Um, and then we all get on this, uh, this overnight flight to Lima um, that arrives the next morning. And in Lima, we meet up with the rest of the group, including the leader of the group. I'm going to call him Ned. Um, and Ned is, Ned is from Florida. Uh, he's, he's a Caucasian man. Um, but you know, he's the leader of this, this group and he's apparently, he, he goes down to, to Peru and Costa Rica, um, and other like central South America places all the time, but he's got property. Um, and I learned that, you know, he's, he wants to, um, to build his own like medicine wellness retreats kind of destination. Did you know Ned was a Caucasian man going into this? Uh, I don't know that I, I don't know that I did. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to remember what the earlier conversations were. I think, uh, uh, Ryan was just like, yeah, my, my buddy, mm -hmm. um, so, but whatever. So I think I knew he was American, you know, however, you know, that played out. I didn't really know. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, we meet Ned and, uh, he's, you know, he's got, since he's got property, bought property, wants to do this whole thing, yada, yada, yada. And in the Lima airport is where I learned that the documentary, the documentary, the documentarian, the filmmaker, he's not going to make it because um, he's he got caught from, from other assignments. Um, right. You know, but he sent he sent a, he sent some cameras. They got some camera. So we're just going to film our own um, our own footage for the for the documentary. I'm like, okay, uh, that's going to become important later in the story. Uh, <laughs> So then we fly from Lima to Iquitos, and we're going to spend um, our first night in Iquitos before we get in a boat and go down the Amazon the next day. So we uh, we fly into Iquitos, very small airport, and we get they get they have the little um, like uh, the motorcycle taxis, you know, the motorcycle with the with the you know, the hooded mm -hmm. bed, or whatever. Um, and we get into a bunch of those, and we drive from the airport into town. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been other places in the world. Like I said, I, I mean, I've, I've been to Iraq. Um, I've, I've been to, to um, socioeconomically depressed areas. I've been to uh, Thailand. I've been to Costa Rica. I've been to you know, Mexico. I've been to, you know, you know, countries that are in the developing state, however you want to um, look at it. So I very quickly um, recognize that, that Iquitos, Peru, is kind of, kind of looks, you know, like, like rural Thailand or something like that. Um, you know, it's very, it's not, it's not affluent. It's very impoverished. Uh, we're driving to the streets and, um, you know, because I am who I am and I work in the process and in the industry that I work in, I see a lot of, I see a lot of metabolic disease. I see a lot of obesity. I see um, hypertension. I see um, chronic venous insufficiency. I see varicose veins. I see people who have these, 
these maladies of modernity, these maladies of industrial processes mm. and, and bad foods and things like that. And the keto is certainly full of it. Um, you know, my experience in, in, in Central and now South America has been there's a lot, there's a lot of metabolic disease. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of poor diet, um, a lot of um, other other factors that are uh, exacerbating things like obesity and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. I see that, and we get to this little um, this little hotel, and we put all our bags in. And uh, we're gonna go to to the medicine shop, um, so that we get back into the little taxis, and they take us to the area. Um, and we're not supposed to film or take pictures in this area for some reason. I guess it's just a little shady. Um, and we go to the shop that sells basically any plant medicine that you want. Um, you know, you want to buy ayahuasca, buy ayahuasca. You want to buy, I mean, there's hape all over the place. There's wachuma here, and there's. Um, there's this there and that there, that's that 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 that. And Ned is just like stocking up on stuff. I'm like, I thought we were like, I'm I'm in a store. I'm in a yeah. shop. Um, you know, this is a this is a tourist shop. Right. Um what I thought we were gonna go down to the, to where the tribe is. Where's the tribe? Um and okay, yeah, but you know, Ned's stocking up for the trip. I mean, he's got mushrooms and two kilos of wachuma and, and this and that and yada 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 yada. Uh, I'm like, okay. Um, so we go, we have dinner, and um, then we go back to the hotel. And we get up the next morning, and uh, we go down to the boat, the boats, a couple of boats, and we take them down um, the Amazon, you know, a few miles uh, to the bank to the side. There's this little, this little, I don't even want to call it a village. Um, it's a retreat center. It's called Willie's Retreat Center. Um, and, um, there's a Peruvian man who's there, and his name is Willie. Um, I, I doubt that's his, you know, given name, but that's what everybody calls him Willie. Um, and Willie's got a family, and he's got some some helpers, and there's you know some some bungalows and a main house, and and this is where we're going. And Willie is Willie is the shaman. He's the curandero. He's mm -hmm. he's the one who takes us. I'm like, okay, so this is this is the tribe. Willie is the tribe. Okay. Willie is the tribe and the documentary guy's not here, but we've got cameras and Ned just stocked up on every plant medicine that he could get his hands on in a shop in a very socioeconomically depressed city in, in Peru. Mm -hmm. um, we were going down the river and we have this, this uh, local guide with us named Alex. Um, and he's telling us a little bit about stuff. Um, and um, uh, he says, this, this is, was very important to me. Um, he said that, uh, that the, there used to be a lot of a lot of um, a lot of logging, a lot of lumber, a lot of lumber lumber trade here. And this is a bend of the Amazon River, and there's boats. And you can get large boats full of lumber um, through these ports and 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 get them to wherever they want to go. Um, but they're not very active anymore because at some point um, the Peruvian government stopped lumber exports. Um, and so we can get into this. We can get into again. I'm not, there's an observation without judgment. I'm not saying we should cut down the rainforest, but the, the problem was we were cutting down the rainforest. And then the Peruvian government said, stop cutting down the rainforest. We're no longer sending the lumber out of Peru. We will only cut down the lumber that we use inside of Peru. The problem for Iquitos as a city, as a large city, is that that was its industry. It was, mm -hmm. a, it was a hub of, of lumber um, industry. And when you shut that down, and again, these people are trapped unless you can get out on an airplane or a boat like you can't hitchhike down a road there is no road that gets oh. in and out um and so then i'm starting to connect dots i'm like okay i see here this is like 
probably like shutting down um, a major factory in a small town in Iowa. It's going to have economic repercussions. You know, when you, when you have an industry, that's how the city grows. And even if the people who aren't directly working in the industry, they're now working in services that support the industry. Every restaurant, every shop, every whatever is now kind of just that, 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 that. And you close that down. Like I said, I'm, this is observation without judgment. I'm not saying cutting down the rainforest and importing lumber out of Peru is a good idea. Mm -hmm. I'm saying there's a side effect. You shut that down, and this city that doesn't have a single road in or out of it now has a lot of people there who, like, yeah. what the fuck are you going to do? And so I'm starting to connect dots on alcoholism, on people passed out in the streets, on, on you know, whatever else, addiction problems, the obesity, bad food. Um, and, and just kind of, you know, it makes sense. Me. Yeah. Um, and so I'm connecting these dots. Hey fam, before we get into the episode, I just want to let you know, Jason and I had a really long discussion that went for a little over two hours. So we are breaking this episode up into two parts. So we are going to dive into the first hour of the conversation. You might receive an abrupt ending at the end of the hour, but just know that that is to leave you on a cliffhanger for next week's episode as we finish up his story. Thank you so much for joining. Let's dive in. 